Hello again, friends. Welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You join us today on this amazing journey through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in our season working together through the Gospel of Mark, and I'm so glad you've decided to be with me here today. If you're here for the first time, then why not consider taking the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily lives? New episodes are posted every day, Monday to Friday. So here's an opportunity for you to to work through the entire Bible over the next probably 10 years or so. Well, we're a couple of years into what I believe will be a 10-year project to really make the Bible part of your everyday experience. You can do that by simply subscribing and then you choose to follow along at whatever pace suits you. You either do it live with us here as we post episodes every week or you can go right back to the beginning and do it at whatever pace that works for you. And by the way, if you are here for the first time, do hang around at the end while I'll tell you ways where you can access episode notes for each and every episode, as well as a transcript for you to take and use in whatever way helps you in your own personal ministry life. So thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you at the back end. Bye-bye for now. Okay, people, it's great to be back with you again. We're in Mark chapter 9 and we're picking up in verse 14 and working through to verse 29 today. And we'll be considering the aspects of faith and doubt and looking at are they compatible in the Christian life. I think one of the most fascinating statements in all of the Bible is found in this passage we're going to look at today, where we someone say to Jesus, I believe, yet help me with my unbelief. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Is it, is it possible for faith and unbelief to exist side by side in the same person at the same time? It reminds me of that rather amusing story of a couple walking together through a graveyard and looking at the tombstones and they come upon one and it says, here lies an honest man, a politician. The man turned to the woman and says, well, look at that, two bodies in the same grave. So my question is, is it possible for two seemingly contradictory things to exist in us, in one person at the same time? Is it possible, in fact, for belief and unbelief to exist at the same time in the same person? Well, I actually believe the answer to that question is found in the passage we're going to read this morning. The passage we're going to look at today continues immediately after this amazing what's to call the transfiguration of Christ, the thing that we looked at yesterday. And the story now opens with Jesus talking as he rejoins his disciples after coming down from the mountain after that event. This amazing event would have just take place in front of Peter, James and John. So we're going to do what we always do and going to go through the chapter verse by verse. And then we'll try and unpack it as we go along and then try and summarize and see what we can learn from it and what what lessons it teaches us at the end. So opening with the text, it says this, When they came to the other disciples, so that's Jesus and Peter, James and John who are coming down from the mountain, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. 
So Jesus now, with his other three disciples, he joins the main group of nine disciples who are surrounded by this crowd, arguing with them. And the argument is led by the scribes and the teachers of the law who are taking a position against the disciples. So what is it they're arguing about? Well, let's see. The text will tell us. Picking up at verse 16. What are you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams a mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So it seems the argument is about this man who's brought his sick son to the disciples, and evidently the disciples couldn't heal him. Now, some commentators suggest that the argument is because the scribes and the teachers of the law, now having seen their failure, are goading the disciples about their lack of success. Now, you may recall, if you've been following us along every day, through his life, Jesus, up to this point, previously has given the disciples, he gave the disciples the authority to do the very thing they're trying to do here. So let me remind you of that and emphasize what Jesus said to them just a few chapters back in chapter 6. when it, In the calling of the disciples it says he called the twelve to him and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So they had failed to heal this boy even though they had been given authority to do so. Their inability to do that in spite of the fact that he himself had given them authority to do that very thing. And this is the main issue of the passage here. The father, we see, says that he brought his son, who he describes as being possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. So very clearly it's the father's intention to bring his sick son to the Lord. But remember Jesus at this point was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he says, I brought my son to you. But you weren't here, so I asked your disciples to do this thing instead, but they could not. In the next verse, we see Jesus' answer to this. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Notice Jesus says here, you unbelieving generation. So, Look at the wider group of people that Jesus is talking to here. Jesus says this lack of faith is not just characteristic of you lot, but of the whole society and the culture that you live in. The disciples believed at some point that they could do these things, but they didn't seem to believe at this point that they could deal with this thing, this issue. And the question we have to ask Well, it's the same one as Jesus is asking, which is why not? Why couldn't they do it? Now, many Bible teachers believe the disciples had probably decided that they had been given the authority and therefore they can do it. But they probably thought they'd been given the authority by name. In other words, they could just name it and claim it, so to speak, and then do it. But by approaching it this way, they had quit relying on the Lord and they'd started relying on himself using it in Jesus' name with an element of superstition. But however they approached it, clearly they had been unable to heal this young man. So Jesus says, bring me the boy. And when they did this, well, let's hear what's happened. So they brought him to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. 
And then Jesus asks the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answers. It has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So this is a severe problem to such an extent it not only damages the boy's obvious dignity as a person, but it has led him to the point of really nearly destroying his life or maybe attempting to destroy his own life. This suggests to me that I think what's going on here is the young man has been driven to the point of suicide by the terrible afflictions of the fitting and the foaming at the mouth that he's having. Notice the father says, if you can do anything, take pity on us. And there, my friend, is the heart of the matter. Don't miss it. Because there's a doubt here, clearly undermined by his use of the phrase, if you can. There's a comparison and a contrast to make here. If we remember the man with leprosy back in chapter 1, it was, if you want to, you can cleanse me. Or the ruler of the synagogue in chapter 5, where Jesus acted miraculously. It says, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. There's an assumption there that he will do it and has the power to do it. And just a few days back in chapter 7, we heard of the faith of the Greek Syrian woman who believed Jesus could heal her daughter without actually even being there. But see the difference? This time it says, if you can do anything then take pity on us. The father doesn't come to him saying, I believe you can. He has doubts about whether Jesus can do this, which is why he says, if you can, Jesus, then help me. So now we can see what this whole story really is about. It's about faith, or rather lack of faith. The disciples didn't have enough faith to heal the boy, and the father has picked up on their doubts, I believe. And Jesus' reply here, well, it turns the tables, the responsibility a little bit back on the Father. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father explained, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So when Jesus identifies and tells the Father the problem here, the core of the issue is his unbelief, the Father immediately says, well, help me with that then. And the father cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Here is a man who clearly had doubts, serious doubts, but he also has a degree of faith. As I said at the beginning, the fascinating part of the story today is the fact that the father has faith, yet he's plagued with doubts at the same time. We need to think about that for a moment. He had seen the disciples, remember, he'd seen them try and heal his son and they'd been unable to do so. So in uh, in modern terms, you could say he'd witnessed failure first. So now based on that past experience, he also doubts the Lord's ability to heal. But he still had enough faith to ask and ask for help with his faith. So it is possible to have faith yet experience unbelief at the same time. The answer to that question I asked at the beginning is yes. Did you know some of the greatest figures in the history of the church have expressed doubts at time? Augustine of Hippo, someone who was St. Augustine, was a North African Christian and certainly one of the greatest minds in the early history of the church. I would say he towers above most other people in the first 500 years of church history. And he wrote a book called Confessions. It's sort of a proto-autobiography. And in it he said this, I wish I could be made certain of things as I cannot see, as I am 
that 7 plus 3 makes 10. Augustine never really found that certainty in every area of his life, but he confessed to that, and he confessed he was plagued by doubts throughout his whole life, but he still sought the Lord in dealing with those doubts. Martin Luther, another one of the greatest figures in church history, battled constantly, not only with doubt, but depression, and he he once wrote this, For more than a week Christ was wholly lost to me. I was shaken by depression and even blasphemed against God. That's from his introduction to Galatians, his commentary on Galatians. Bringing it more up to date, did you know that a church in Boston refused to allow someone called D.L. Moody to join their fellowship when he was a young man because they said at times his belief seemed uncertain? D.L. Moody, well, if you haven't heard of him, he was probably the equivalent of the Billy Graham of the 19th century, the most famous Bible preacher in the world at that time. And what about Billy Graham himself? In his biography, he wrote something that happened to him in 1949. He said this, In August of that year, I had been invited to Forest Home, a Presbyterian conference centre high in the mountains outside Los Angeles. I remember walking down a trail, tramping into the woods and almost wrestling with God. I dueled with my doubts and my soul seemed caught in the crossfire. Well, I give you these quotes because what I'm saying is if you have doubts, sometimes you're in good company. A lot of very godly people have had their doubts. And the father here in this story is just the classic example of a believer with doubts. But listen, because this is what I want you to note. Jesus, the Lord, he did not say to the father, sorry, you don't have enough faith, you better go. He also did not say, go off and then come back when you've got more faith. Rather, Jesus recognized where that man was at that time. And even though this man had doubts, he recognized that he still had a seed of faith. In fact, he had just enough faith to take his doubts to the Lord. And maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's what we're meant to do. It's one thing to have doubts, but it's another thing to have doubts and refuse to deal with them. The problem is never about having doubts in our life. The problem is when we don't deal with our doubts, when we don't take them to the Lord. The man in this story says, yes, I have a lack of faith, but I also believe you can help me have more faith. Well, let's see what happens next. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, the man, many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. So Jesus heals the son in spite of the doubting of the faith of the father. But the story doesn't end there because there's another lesson. Mark clearly wants to record what Jesus wanted to teach out of this situation because the text 10 tells us, After Jesus has gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? That's a good question, because as I say, you might remember back in chapter 3 and then again in chapter 6, the disciples were given the authority to do this exact sort of thing. And when they tried, they'd failed. They'd not been able to do what they'd been given authority to do, and why not? Because they, the disciples themselves, didn't have faith. They were probably thinking, we have done this sort of thing before, and we have the authority, so we should be able to do this. 
but they had tried and failed. And now they come to Jesus and say, why couldn't we do it this time? And Jesus' reply is, verse 29, this kind can only come out by prayer. You want God to do something, then you've got to ask him to do it. You've got to pray and pray earnestly, maybe even sometimes with some of the translation adding in the term and fasting as well. In other words, when approaching these problems, well, of course you need to be totally dependent on God, but the more difficult and intractable the problem is, you really need to get yourself to a point where you totally acknowledge dependence on God in order to see these most difficult and complicated situations overcome. If you think by just calling on the name of Jesus or speaking it out in authority without having that element of total dependence on him and the fact that it is his saving power that delivers people, then I would suggest you're getting too big for your spiritual boots, so to speak. We need to always acknowledge our total reliance on God and our need to pray about such things. You need to hand things over totally to God. Because he is the one who's going to do these things anyway, maybe through you, but it is not you that are doing it. Looking back again at the father in this story, I believe the point of this passage that is trying to be made here is that you may have doubts, but if you have enough faith to ask the Lord for help, then he will give you enough faith to do what he's promised to do for you or through you. But if you're like the disciples and don't trust in him, and turn things over to him, you won't see God do what he's promised to do the more you put yourself at the centre of it rather than him. It's about believing and having doubts, but believing and still having enough faith to hand a situation over to the Lord. It may seem intractable to you. It may seem impossible to you, but you have to have faith enough to hand it totally over to him. So do you have doubts like that about anything? in your life or in the world. Well, what I'm telling you this morning is this passage says that's okay. It's okay as long as you have enough faith to hand those doubts over to him. The world says, I will believe something when I see it. The Bible teaches you've got to believe and then you will see it. I wonder if like me, you've seen these wildlife programs and I've particularly noticed I've seen an animal called an impala. It's a bit like a small deer and it's about three and a half feet high. They always seem to be running and trying to escape from predators. I think it's interesting to know that in the wild, they've been photographed jumping over three meters high. That's nine and a half feet in old money. And they've done that not just when being chased by a predator, But did you know in domestic zoos, impalas can be contained behind a wall that's just four feet high? Well, why is that so? That's because zoologists have discovered this. Why won't they not jump over four feet high walls when they can jump over nine feet in the wild? And that's because the zoo walls are built in such a way that the animal cannot see its landing place. An impala will never jump anywhere where it can't see the landing place. So as long as the zoo makers build the fence above the eye line so that they can't see through it, then they won't try and jump it. But faith for humans means we sometimes have to jump to where we cannot see. 
Seeing is not necessarily believing when it comes to the Christian faith. Sometimes you just have to trust him first and then you can see his promises come to pass. Okay, let me try and wrap this up for you and try and put this into some sort of focus for our everyday life. You see, the important thing here when it comes to our faith life is not the total amount of our faith. It's the object of our faith. That's what matters. The person in whom we are putting our faith in. You might one day arrive at a rope bridge across the canyon. You are told the bridge was, is secure to hold up to, say, 20 stones. The bridge might say it's good to hold 300 pounds and you're good to cross. But suppose you had doubts and you decided not to cross that bridge, even though you only weighed 13 stone. Would you get across to the other side? Suppose there was another rope bridge beside it and it said the trusted and maximum load it could carry was five stone. Suppose you decided to have faith in that bridge and step out across it. Would it be safe to get to the other side? Would it hold your weight just because you believed it would? Of course not. So suppose you go back to the first bridge and you might still have your doubts. I think that's natural for all of us. But you decide to put your faith in that object that has been designed to do that for you and step onto it. Perhaps you might have a little fear and trembling, but you will, if you act in faith, make it to the other side. But the important point here is, did you get across that chasm because you had faith? Well, that was certainly the initiation of it, but you got across the chasm because the object of your faith, the thing that you were trusting in, was good and able to do what it was supposed to do for you. So the issue, my friends, is never about the amount of faith. The issue is, is the object of your faith someone who is worth investing your faith in? And my call to you this morning is, friends, to recognise that Jesus Christ is definitely worth investing all your faith in because the Bible tells us he will never let you down. I want to conclude today by asking a final question. And that is, if you have doubts, and we all might have them, how can you deal with them? I wonder if there's any of you this morning who are sitting there thinking, I wish I had more faith that there's something in my life and I really wish, or in the life of someone I love, and there's something I really wish I could have more faith than God is able to deal with us. Well, I want to tell you two things you can do to increase your faith. First, we need to understand where faith comes from. And there is a verse that tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It very simply says, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So faith means it's not just about coming in front of the Bible and reading it or or studying it. It's about allowing yourself to not only be exposed, but to be impacted by the word to the point where you start to do things to change your life appropriately as the word declares. The more you open yourself up to the word of God, the more likely you are able to recognize what he is doing in your life and what he can do in your life. Your faith will increase simply because by studying the word of God, you are able to see what God says and what God does. And you're more able to recognize those things coming to pass all around you. And as the Bible describes this process, as you begin to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's not just listening to a sermon on a Sunday morning. 
It's not just even listening to what I'm saying this morning, but it's it's making the decision to study the Bible and meditate on it for yourself. And there's no substitute to that. My goal at the end of the day in this podcast project is to make you spiritually independent so that you can be fed directly from the Lord himself by his word. In other words, that you might learn from what we read and discuss this morning, but ultimately you need to discern it for yourself. So the question is, do you read the Bible every day? Do you study the Bible every day? How long do you spend doing it? How long do you spend watching TV every day for those who say they don't have time? Well, it's little wonder that so many people worldwide, even Christian believers, have so little faith when they spend so little time studying the Word of God. And I hope that being together today, this day and every day, that you're able to be part in the process of enabling you to do that, enabling you to increase your faith through repeated exposure to the Word of God. But there's a second thing you can do, a second thing you need to do to increase your faith, and that is to pray. And why is this so? Because when you pray, you actually do get prayers answered. And you might even begin to think, wow, this actually works. I wonder if anybody listening out there prayed a particular prayer in the last week or the last month and last year, and that prayer got answered. I'm sure if you did, then you can say, wow, prayer really does work. Let me conclude by telling you what I believe is one of the great overlooked little points of this passage. And the fact is that the man brought one of his six sons to the disciples and he didn't get the answer that he hoped for. But look, he didn't stop. That didn't stop him. So let me ask you the same question. If you've prayed and you feel you've not got an answer, well, you're not alone. Sometimes people get discouraged when God doesn't seem to answer our prayers. But the key point here is the man in the passage, that wasn't his situation. He didn't do that. He continued on. He brought his son to Jesus' disciples. They couldn't do anything for him. But then he just carried on and brought him to Jesus and said, I think maybe you can help me. Following my recent experience with your disciples, I'm paraphrasing them now, I have some doubts, but I still believe that you can do this, Lord. So I'm full of doubt and unbelief, but Lord, help me with my unbelief and heal my son. And the Lord, he healed his son. You see, prayer, coming to Lord in prayer and trusting him, always honours God. So God will always honour prayer. Not always in the, exactly in the way we think, but he will always honour a sincerely held prayer. One final quote to finish with. Remember, I quoted from Billy Graham and what he said. Let me finish by reading the whole passage. In August of this year, I was invited to Forest Hills, a Presbyterian conference centre in the mountains outside Los Angeles. I remember walking down a trail tramping into the woods and almost wrestling with God. I dueled with my doubts and my soul seemed to be caught in the crossfire. But then he continues, Finally, in desperation, I surrendered my will to the living God, the God revealed in Scripture. I knelt before the open Bible and said, Lord, many things in this book I do not understand. But he said, The just shall live by faith, and all I have received from you I have taken by faith. And here and now, by faith, I accept the Bible as your word. I take it all, and I take it without reservation. 
Where there are things I cannot understand, I will reserve judgment until I receive more light. And if this pleases you, give me the authority as I proclaim your word. And boy, did God do that with Billy Graham, didn't he? And he can do that with you. Friends, take a moment, take a moment before the open word of God. Metaphorically, just do it now if you wish, as we consider his word laid before us in this manner. And receive it. Accept it by faith. Accept the Bible as his word. Take it without reservations. And where there are things that we cannot understand and we will come across them, we need to reserve judgment in them and hold them and receive them in the light that if it is God doing it, then there must be some holy and good purpose in it. And if that, by doing that, that will please him and give him the authority to change our lives to change the lives of those around us and even to proclaim his word to others. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. I do hope you're helped and encouraged by this amazing journey together through the whole Bible, Lord willing, one day, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This podcast can be subscribed to wherever you get your podcast from. Just click on the subscribe button and that way you need never miss another single episode. The place where it's hosted is the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com So if you're not seeing active links to other ways of connecting with this ministry on the podcast platform that's your preference, you can always go there. And that way you'll find extra information like an episode notes with with an overview of what we've talked about today, as well even as a full transcript of everything I've said pretty much word for word. You'll also find there links to places like the YouTube channel, my Amazon author page, my LinkedIn page where I tend to put more structured discipleship type courses, even the social networks. And you'll also find there the Patreon page. And that is the place where those who have decided they want to help support this ministry and enable me to keep doing this, frankly, because that's the only reason I'm able to do this, is that there is a community of people out there who see the value of what I'm doing and want to help financially enable me to do this and make it available free for as many people as possible well you can become a patron there and support this ministry for as little as a couple of dollars a month and as a way of thank you i post some of my musings and other teachings and other bible studies and talks i'm given just bits and pieces of stuff that doesn't fit in to the main bible project podcast just as a, a way of saying thank you to the fact that there's that community of people that enables me to be resourced to be able to do this and more importantly to encourage me to keep doing this there are considerable costs to producing this not all all of which are left but the money isn't the thing the very fact that there is a group of people who believe that this teaching is valuable and that it should be out there to help and encourage other people to bring the study of the word of god and the gospel within the orbit of their daily lives The encouragement of knowing that there are people who share that vision is really the most important thing to me of all. 
So thank you to all of you and to all of them. If you've got a moment, why not leave a review somewhere or even post a link and a recommendation on your social network to this uh, podcast and allow other people to allow the Bible to transform their lives also. So with that all said, I'll leave it there for today and say thank you very much. I do hope I'll see you again tomorrow or whatever day it works for you as we work together through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So it's bye now for the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye now.